And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on this post-game episode after the Bills collect their first victory... Well, I guess their second victory in four tries, but it felt like their first victory in four games, even though they won the Giants game. They defeat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by a score of 24 to 18, a score closer than the game probably was. They kind of allowed the Buccaneers to hang around a bit too long, especially down the stretch there, ruining a few different fourth down opportunities and then uh, ultimately collecting the victory after thwarting a uh, Hail Mary attempt from the Buccaneers. So the Bills advanced themselves to 5-3. and three. More importantly, they got a win and started to look a little bit better on the offensive side of things, especially heading into this gauntlet, gauntlet of games that they have here. And we're going to get into all of that, kind of how they went about doing that in this game and uh, certainly some of the other facets of the day leading up whether it be what they did with the inactives, specifically with Kair Elam, uh, Von Miller's impact on the game, and uh, some of the other uh, pieces to the puzzle here on on both offense and defense. But we have to start off with the offense just because of the entire discussion that has gone on over, let's see, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the last four days, and even all day leading up to Thursday. I think the Bills felt that they needed a response. And you almost kind of felt like it was going to happen because this Buccaneers team, although they have good defensive pieces, the overall scope of how they can kind of be picked apart through the air, I think lended itself to the Bills not really getting a get-right game because I think that would have been just this overwhelming offensive explosion. But for the most part, being able to move the ball consistently down the field, uh, not continuing to have these frustrating drives that you know never amount to anything or even to get started, and certainly getting things going in the early stages of game was especially important. Not only, I'm sure, to the fans that listen to the show to watch the Bills on a weekly basis, um, but also to the team itself because they they felt those slow starts. They knew that the last three games leading into this Buccaneers one, they left a lot out there. And each one of those games took a different sort of, I guess, identity as to why they struggled. Like the Jaguars game, just missed opportunities, drops, um, missed blocking assignments, those those things that 
You know, they felt like they could clean up. The Giants game, I thought there was, like like we put, pointed out before, a bit of a hesitance to um, pivot against what the Giants were doing that were, was successful. And almost until it was too late in the second half there. And finally, they they were able to put together a couple of good drives to wind up stealing that game, barely. And then the Patriots game, I thought a lot of that fell on the... Uh, Fell to the feet of of Josh Allen. I thought he was pretty poor in that game. Probably the worst game of his season so far. And they needed a response from their franchise quarterback because he just he just really lacked that overall true dynamic quality that made him such a a special quarterback. So the Bills in this game against the Buccaneers, I think they solved a lot of those things. Well, maybe not solved, but they got themselves back on the right track towards all the way solving this. Is it the crazy, good, dynamic offense that can go toe-to-toe with anybody? Not quite there yet, but the things that they showed and how they approached this game plan specifically, I thought really uh, hit the mark after a few weeks here. And really, it, it... when you go and look at how they approach the game and how they they utilize specific a specific game plan, they really got back to basics here. And I, I found it interesting in the week leading up. What you know, I find it interesting anytime Stefan Diggs speaks with reporters because you know I I think he's a a pretty genuine guy, and uh, he uh, you know there's he doesn't really beat around the bush too much. He he. Um, he kind of when he when he wants to or he he's he's overwhelmingly truthful when it comes to uh what's gone right what's gone wrong within a specific week within a specific uh, few weeks and multiple times this past week on Tuesday when he spoke with reporters he basically said you know they they just need to get back to being them and you know that's not it's not really a uh, a definitive like okay how a definitive approach as to how they do it but you could tell how he said it syncing up with exactly what they did on Thursday night against the buccaneers really coincided and a lot of that had to do with them getting back to this 11 personnel heavy formation 11 personnel look, low substitutions, which, you know, they they have been substituting a lot from a play-to-play basis uh, over the first seven games of the season. And they kind of stripped all that away. They went with pretty much the same four guys for most of the game, which were Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. Both of those guys played almost every single offensive snap against the Buccaneers, the only one they did not was the end of first half kneel down. Uh, as otherwise, they would have bat, been at 100%. And I think that was highly intentional on Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott's uh, behalf. Then they had Khalil Shakir out there for his season high in snaps. He was around 65%. And Dalton, Dalton Kincaid was out there uh, over 80% of snaps. And anytime they were in 11 personnel, 
He was out there, I believe, for 49 out of the 51 personnel snaps that I that I tracked. So he was a heavy contributor from that perspective. And then one of the two running backs, whether it be Latavius Murray or, or James Cook, it was that core group of four players that they really decided to, to base their attack around. And the results were really good. I mean, you, you go and track and you go back and, and look how effective they were when you had that group of four players out on the field and you see uh, them averaging seven yards, seven yards per play with that group, which is wildly impressive based on what we had seen previously with, with this offensive output. And then on first downs alone with that group of four players, they were averaging nearly eight yards per play. So whatever they were doing was working. You know, if you've listened to me over the last couple of weeks, Khalil Shakir, to me, has really kind of solidified himself. And the way that he has grown into kind of like this this plus blocker and someone that can be dependable on late downs to bring in a catch, that was important to them. And it showed based on how they used him. Now, going back to 11 personnel was certainly aided by the fact that Dawson Knox had to have wrist surgery and is now on injured reserve. And he'll be there for at least the next three games. Albeit, so their hand was kind of forced here. But they took that and they kind of ran with it. They could have continued this Huge rotation at the wide receiver position um, past Diggs and Davis. They could have continued continued filtering in Diggs and Davis. Um, well, mostly Diggs. They they usually take him out for some running plays, but they they said basically to hell with that. <laughs> and I think for the first time this year, maybe the first time in the last two years, Diggs was out there almost one hundred percent of of offensive snaps. And like I said before, I think that was highly intentional and a, a nice, uh, a nice stroke here by what um, by maybe just simplifying things for the offense from a from Ken Dorsey's perspective. So I will give him a lot of credit for that, and that was to me such a such an important way to kind of jumpstart this whole thing. The other piece that I thought was pretty impressive from Ken Dorsey's perspective is he broke tendency a little bit and not in the same way that uh, it's not as though he he's doing something that is totally foreign to this Bills offense, but he did something that was effectively foreign to this Bills offense under Ken Dorsey. Over the last two years, heading into this game, the amount of 10 personnel snaps that the Bills had in the regular season and postseason combined, so that was, what, 18 plus 25 total games, the Bills had a a grand total of 11 snaps in 10 personnel over the last season and a half. That is not a ton. And in this game alone against the Buccaneers, they broke tendency. They used it on nine different snaps 
gained 78 total yards on those nine plays for an average, I believe, of 8.3 yards per play. Now, it's not something that they're going to be able to, to go to every single week, but just giving a defense a different look than they have never seen before from, from a Dorsey-led offense, or seen very rarely, and he hadn't used it at all this season to this point. So that's another tip of the cap to Dorsey at, to, for a response where they sorely needed him to be able to show a little bit more unpredictability and really both simplify things, get the Bills back to when they were great. And it even harkens back to the days with Brian Dable. Like, 10 personnel with Brian Dable was a a pretty substantial staple Not as though they ran it every single play, but in 2021 alone, they ran 10 personnel on 80 different offensive snaps during that regular season. And that's just the regular season. That's not even including the playoffs. 80. And over the last season and a half, basically, Dorsey only ran it 11 times. So that in itself, getting... These players, a lot of whom were around for the uh, for the Brian Dable days, and by that I mean Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis, their their core three, and getting those players, the ones that are most important to the overall the overall output of the offense getting them in a groove and having them feel like they were home in a way is such a, an important thing. And that should, I think, inspire some slight confidence in Ken Dorsey that he is learning, he is evolving a bit here, and, and certainly he has bought himself time by all means. I mean, this was a, this was a nice step in the right direction. Was it perfect? No. Do they need to capitalize on on some of these drives that that ended in field goals? Yes, they do. Um, but for the most part, the offense, I thought, passed the test tonight, or should I say last night, seeing as how I'm recording this at 3.30 a.m. at Highmark Stadium. But be it as it may, this is this was exactly what they needed from an offensive perspective. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And even going further into that is the play of Josh Allen because they needed a lot more than what they received from him uh, against the New England Patriots. And... Outside of that one throw where he got absolutely rocked that went to Stefan Diggs where he he fell down and got back up and scampered into the end zone for the touchdown. Outside of that play, there wasn't a whole lot from Josh Allen's game where you're like, wow, that wasn't like that was a real that play really challenged the defense there. It got better. Once they started going up tempo, it got better. Once, uh, it, it, you know, that uh, I guess he stopped trying to overthink it. The whole simplification of the offense, I think, really went far in this game. Sean McDermott, after the game, basically said, you know, having that offensive environment where you're allowing the defense to dictate where the ball goes rather than having a predetermined uh, throw is what it's all about. And whether or not that's a, it's another one of those subtle things. I mean, that's to, to be determined, but I think McDermott was very happy with the overall offensive output and seeing Allen operate the way that he did in just, Seeing what the recognizing what the defense was doing on a play to play basis, and then using that against them to find the open target. That's why you saw Gabe Davis set a career high in in a single game receptions. That's why you saw Khalil Shakir have his best outing from a from a receiving perspective in this game. And even though Diggs wasn't the guy. In the game, he still had 12 targets and nine catches for 70 yards. Like, this is a, a huge output from all three of those guys. And then you've got Dalton Kincaid thrown in there, who added, I thought, just a tremendous element to the offense. And that is exactly what I thought they would be getting from Kincaid from what we saw in the spring and summer. We are now starting to see exactly who he can be within the confines of this offense. And you know, the everyone's going to remember the, the toe tapper, but um, how he reacted to Allen kind of getting out of structure on his touchdown pass and, and how he made himself available. And then having both the athleticism and the hand eye to take the ball in and turn up simultaneously so that way there was no wasted movement. That's just exactly what they're getting out of the rookie. And, uh, you know, he could become a, a major 
contributor down the stretch here. But I don't want to veer too far from the Josh Allen point because he was the the biggest reason outside of, you know, simplifying the offensive structure. It all comes down to for the most part player execution. And Allen being able to identify defenses, finding figuring out where to go when the ball is snapped and using the defense's liability against them was great. On top of that, they or he began to empower the Bills' offense by reestablishing himself as a runner. And this was a huge talking point over the last few days, and for good reason, right? I mean, you, you think about exactly how this offense can be at their most dynamic. And a lot of that has to do with Josh Allen's threat to run. I mean, we've heard for years about Sean McDermott wanting the threat to run with, with the, uh, the, the stereotypical running game. But forget that. I mean, that's, that's all well and good in spots. But the thing that truly challenges an opposing defense is Josh Allen and his legs. And it's not even just designed runs, even though they they did that a couple of times. they And they established it right away with a quarterback draw, I think, on the second play of the, of the game. But it's about out of structure, scrambling, and not having the hesitance to go past the line of scrimmage. It was interesting what, what uh, Josh Allen said on Tuesday of this week, saying, you know, you can't really major in in that rushing uh, because it in that rushing, in that scrambling, because it's not really long-lasting. But at the same time, you can't rip that out of this Bills offense completely because that's part of what makes it inherently special when it's going at its best. Allen being able to scare defenders in front of him to either freeze in place because they think he might beat them over the top with the throw. Or to basically magnetically gravitate toward him as he's starting to approach the line of scrimmage. Threatening to run for that first down because you know he can make people miss. He's shown that repeatedly in the open field. And then destroying them by throwing it over the top of the area of the field the defender just vacated by a, with, with a receiver that has filled in that space. That's the type of real scary potential that the Bills offense can have with Josh Allen as their quarterback. Now, is he going to be able to do that forever in his career? No. Like when he gets into his early 30s and he's not as quick as he once was, that that threat to run is going to go down and he's going to have to learn how to win differently. But they're not there yet. There is a happy medium here between continuing to observe the sanctity of having Josh Allen for the long term by managing hits on him with not taking away the very 
quality of the offense that makes them a potentially special unit. And it all has to do with Josh Allen just being smart about it. And he did that a few times. When he's getting down the field, sliding as soon as he gets to the first down six, perfect. Going out of bounds, perfect. Are you going to get tripped up eventually? Sure. Every once in a while. Are you going to take a hit every once in a while? Yeah, it's going to happen. But that is so far greater than him lowering his shoulder for two additional yards or trying to hurdle defenders like he did against the Raiders. Tried to hurdle a safety into the end zone that game. It's like, you got to find the balance here. And I think this game showed that balance a bit more as a rusher. And I think the Buccaneers had to respect him as a rusher when he when he broke out of the pocket a lot more than what the Patriots did the week previously. So it's all about that that happy medium. It's all about that balance. And I, I, I thought he did a nice job with that. Again, was it a perfect offensive environment? No. They could have come away with a lot more points. And even after the game, you know, some of the offensive players felt like there was some more meat on the bone there, which is a good thing because they they did move the ball down the field. They left some points out there, but it it makes them it makes you think that better days are on the horizon for this Bills offense, especially with the gauntlet of games that we've been talking about. The Bengals coming up next week uh, in week nine on the road. And then after that, they've got a Monday night game against the Broncos. But after that, it's not in this exact order, or it might be. I, I, I just can't remember off the top of my head. Jets, uh, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers. Like this is, that's a huge stretch of games coming up. And getting these, this step for this offense. And it's the whole reason I call this a potential inflection point if it got, if it went poorly. But now they got their answer that they wanted with the potential for more. And now they they go into this mini bye week or this weekend off feeling good about themselves, which was so important. Like I said, you wouldn't think a Thursday night, late October game against a Tampa Bay team that Heading into the year, people probably thought they were tanking for Caleb Williams would be this important, but it was. So we'll see how far it takes them. I don't think this is like the point of the season where it all gets turned around. I don't think that they're there yet. But a a couple of very key features established. They are of the keep it simple standpoint at the moment. Josh Allen is figuring things out to where he can still be an effective runner and not put himself at liberty of hits and still continue to scare defenses. And then the acclamation of Dalton Dalton Kincaid as a true-to-form potential difference maker on this offense. Those three things working in coordination here I think will be really important for them. 
And then if Dorsey can continue to mix in these different wrinkles every once in a while, like he did against the Buccaneers with, with 10 personnel and then going up tempo and really going low on substitutions. Like that's not going to be the, the formula every single week, but it's the formula for right now. And, and that has definitely helped them. So all in all, pretty encouraging day for, for the most part. On the defensive side of the ball, since we've, we've focused a lot on offense over the last several days, last couple of episodes and first half of this one, of course, the defensive side of the ball, it was solid as it should have been against a Tampa Bay team that struggled in a few different areas. You know, their, their quarterback play is not the greatest, as we know with Baker Mayfield. If you take away his first read, he's going to hang on to that ball and, and things could go haywire, as it almost did on a few different occasions for the Buccaneers. Their running game is not the greatest, but the concerning part about the Buccaneers actually having some success on the ground game is the fact that they just were not really proficient at it heading into the game. Rashad White wound up with 39 yards on on nine carries for 4.3 yards. You know, they didn't really focus too heavily on the rush, but when they went to it, then and and White, it was impactful. It had ripped off a 15-yard gain. This is the stuff that that we're that we're talking about. You know, I didn't think it would be a huge issue against the Buccaneers just because their running game hasn't been crazy good, but in the coming weeks, it's going to be a, a a pretty big staple against the Bills team. This Bills defense, unless they find something um, at the trade deadline to help that defensive tackle group. But they did get the return of Ed Oliver. He did not play the type of snaps that he did against the Giants. That game was crazy, really, for, for how much he played. He played against the Giants. I think it was 86% of the snaps. This one, he was... Just a little over fifty percent. They were they were trying to slowly work him back in after he missed uh, last or the Sunday game against the Patriots with a toe injury. You know, a, a bit, a little bit less of Jordan Phillips slash Tim Settle slash Puna Ford, but at the same time, still having a relevant piece of this whole thing. They just they just need a one technique defensive tackle. That's that's where I really come down to. Uh, and this this game, again, the way that it did against the Patriots, the way that it did against the Giants, helped solidify, solidify that to me. I will say how the Bills performed on the back end against this passing attack was really good for a lot of the game. I thought Christian Benford played a spectacular game. Uh, nearly came away with an interception on a couple of plays. One of them even though he read it and jumped the route, was thrown in basically the only place, and it was kind of a misfire too by Baker Mayfield, it was thrown in the only place that Benford couldn't have gotten it, which was low and to the sideline. And it somehow went for a completion on that one. But for the most part, Benford was right on it in this game. and. You know, 
he is has continued to establish himself as, in my mind, their top cornerback on the roster. You know, Dane Jackson has been solid, uh, around average is how he's graded out for me uh, based on the all 22 that I'm doing. But Benford to me has been the guy that has kind of raised his game since he has started to stack up these reps. And that coverage aspect helped the, the pass rush in general because they took away that first read from Baker Mayfield a bunch, which in turn makes Baker Mayfield hold on to the ball and kind of scramble around a little bit. And that's when it creates opportunities for the defensive ends, for the defensive tackles. I think A.J. Epinesa had a sack. Uh, Ed Oliver had a sack. Leonard Floyd almost had a sack. And Baker Mayfield miraculously spun out of it and still somehow wound up for like a, I think he even got a first down on that play. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So, in all, I thought the the way that those two units played played together in kind of a coordinated effort, I think, really helped this this Bills team. But the worry is when they're up against better rushing teams that these third down plays where these the the pass rush and even the back end can shine a little bit will be a bit less frequent and that is something that the bills are going to have to battle when they get to the trade deadline and whether or not they find a piece there I've got some names kicking around in my brain I'll, I'll probably be posting something about this uh, ahead of the trade deadline, but um, it's it's one of those positions, I think, that needs to happen because we don't know whether or not Daquan Jones will be back this year. He's been hanging around the facilities. He was in the locker room after the game, saw him come out of the locker room, but what we do know is it is a long-term injury for him, and until he walks back through that door, it's going to continue being a weakness with whatever or whoever they line up next to Ed Oliver. All right, let's get into Von Miller a little bit just because last week, I keep saying last week even though it was just a few days ago, but I, I suppose last week is correct because it's the start of a, a new week. Von Miller against the Patriots had six total snaps. Beat that in the first half alone against the Buccaneers. There are a lot more obvious pass down situations. And late in the game, Vaughn was able to work through a lot of consecutive plays, whether it be first, second, third down. And I think that will, will help him moving forward in addition to having this nice little break in between games. He almost got... Baker Mayfield for a sack on one play, 
basically had him by one leg and then Mayfield was able to throw the ball away or into the general area of, of one of his receivers for an incompletion rather than a sack. So that was almost Von Miller's first sack of the season. But overall, he still kind of looks like he's trying to get back into the swing of things. And that instant impact that people, I think, that some people were hoping for just hasn't been there quite yet. This is going to be a bit of a process. I found it interesting, not this past week, but but leading up to the Patriots game. Miller kind of detailed the plan for his brace and when he can go from the big bulky brace to kind of a smaller brace and when the brace can actually come off. This is still going to be going on over the course of the next month or so to where he has to have this bulky thing on his on his knee, his surgically repaired knee. And it might not look the same. It might not be him doing that incredible zero-gravity turn around the corner. That's just not a piece of his game right now. He's physically unable to do it. That explosiveness isn't quite there just yet. And because he's a bit of a smaller guy, being able to bull rush isn't quite there. The the way that he has been most impactful as a pass rusher so far is when he's able to uh, utilize his hands and can chop down the uh, the defender's arms to free himself up to potentially turn the corner. Like that piece of Von Miller's game is not going to go away because, you know, even going through a major surgery like he did, that does not impact how he processes the game, how he prepares for the opponents and his hand-eye reaction time is still right on. It's just more of a physicality and speed standpoint that I think isn't there just yet. And I am interested to see if it comes back at some point this season because they could really use it. I mean, Greg Rousseau still looks a little bit slow out there after his foot injury from a couple weeks ago or that he sat out a couple weeks ago. You know, Leonard Floyd has been excellent, almost had another sack again in this game. He has been a home run of signing, but you do wonder... Can he keep this up for the entirety of the season playing this many snaps the way that he has at, in his age 31 season? That's a consideration. And then A.J. Epinesa has been pretty good, too, uh, along the way. But they need Vaughn. They need Vaughn to become the impactful pass rusher that he was because that is a potential game breaker when they get into the postseason. So just going to continue to watch him. I haven't seen like a huge jump from one week to the next in his pass rush ability. He just, my status quo answer on him so far is just, he looks like a guy that's trying to get reacclimated with the game after a major surgery. And being also, was he 34 years old now? Being that age at 34, turning 35 in March, it's not a guarantee that it, that explosiveness is going to return the same way, way that it was. So 
few different questions in the air, but they're going to hope for the best and hope that he becomes that guy once again this year. All right, the last thing I'll get into before uh, we get into the award section is Kair Elam because obviously a hot topic right now. He was their 2022 first-round pick. He had a pretty bad spring. Training camp did not go to plan for him. Wound up being a distant fourth on the boundary cornerback depth chart behind Tredavious White, Christian Benford, and Dane Jackson. Was a healthy scratch for the first four games. And then after Tredavious White goes down, Christian Benford has to miss the next game. Kair Elam gets a start. The next week, Kair Elam gets another start because Dane Jackson can't play. And then in the Patriots game, he was a non-contributor on defense, but played on special teams for a handful of snaps, mostly on kickoff. Cut to this week, the Bills elevated the 35-year-old Josh Norman, almost 36 years old, mind you. That's coming around pretty quick in the next month or so. And they made Kair Elam a healthy scratch. It's a humongous statement because they have to know what they're doing and what it means, what it signals about Elam to not only the fans, but to the rest of the NFL, that they feel more comfortable having a near 36-year-old cornerback that they just signed off the street to come in and be their primary backup for two guys that Elam should have been comfortably ahead of, even in his rookie season. I think it helps Elam's case that Norman didn't take a single defensive snap and they used him solely on kickoff coverage, Norman that is. So if this was a special teams thing and they wanted to get more out of that specific position, then I think that helps Elam's case here because he's not a good special teams player. He's he's got to be in on defense, and that's that's where he's most effective. But because he doesn't play a whole lot of teams, there's and isn't really super impactful, then you know that that takes away his game day value, which is why he was a healthy scratch for the first four games of the season. So I think that registers a bit here. But also there's the trade deadline point where it's right around the corner. It's on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if the Bills considered moving Kair Elam in the same way that they did with Zach Moss last year at the deadline to acquire Naheem Hines, and they use Moss as something to kind of up the offer in addition to some draft compensation, that could be exactly what they have in mind with Elam, you know, making him a healthy scratch, assuring that he's healthy for the deadline. So that way he can pass physicals, everything like that. That's, I don't know if it's the biggest piece of the puzzle here, but it's certainly one that they possibly considered. And they wanted to see what they had in Josh Norman as well, but 
Special teams only. I think it would have been really something if he got in on defense because he he wasn't really that great in 2020 when he was on the field and he when he wasn't injured for the Bills that is and I think it could have been could have turned into a a liability uh in this game so it's a big old we'll see with Kyrie Elam the writing has felt on the wall for quite a long time now, if if I'm being completely honest. The spring workouts, you kind of got that sense that Christian Benford and Dane Jackson were both in better standing than him. That was solidified again in the summer when Benford and Jackson were the initial guys that they were working in with the first team. And then after like five days, finally Kyir Elam got in. It's like, oh, Kyir Elam is still in the mix here. And he might have been. But I think there has been such an internal motivation to see what they have with Christian Benford because of his long-term potential within this defense and how they think he fits this defense and how much they have complemented his instincts. That's why it's just always Benford ahead of Elam since, since really the spring started, at least from my perspective. So if the Bills can salvage this thing and... You know, chalk it up as a sunk cost at this point and move on just to get something. There's something to that. Conceivably, this might be his most... Conceivably, he if he continues along this trajectory, his value on the trade market will only deteriorate as each... Off-season point, trade deadline point goes past. They really could have gotten something good for him, I think, had they done this early training camp, maybe even just before final cuts. Even then, there was still a degree of, okay, maybe there's something in the tank here. But then once they healthy scratch him for four straight games, Then when they bench him late in the game for a guy like Jamarcus Ingram because they don't trust him in the run game. Then when they make him a healthy scratch for a nearly 36-year-old Josh Norman who wasn't even on a practice squad more than three weeks ago. Teams see the optics out there. They are, it is actively working against his value. But if they don't, if they were not to move him now, and they would wait till the offseason next year, that's even a, a worse compensation package. Because at least right now, teams can sell themselves, or bad teams can sell themselves on the fact that, okay, we're bad. We think Kair Elam could be a steal for our system. Talented player. Let's see what we can do. And if it works out, he is under contract at least through the rest of this season and the two seasons after that. And plus they would have the fifth year option on top of it. If it really worked out. So three and a half years of roster control. That can be valuable to a a bad team looking to rebuild a little bit. And hoping that they can unearth a a gem in Kyrie Elam that hasn't worked out in Buffalo. 
Well, like I said, if they don't move him this trade deadline, then that value will continue to uh, to sink a little bit here. All right, let's get to the award section before we get you on your merry way and uh, hope you have a, a really nice weekend uh, without Bill's football and preparing for the inevitable showdown against the Cincinnati Bengals. First up is the Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise for good reasons. I think that's going to go to uh, probably Taylor Rapp. Um, Just because his role increased in a big way in this game, wound up playing, by my count, 25 snaps, penalties included, which is around 35% of the game. That was their response to starting Tyrell Dotson on the field. Um, you know, I do need to watch the film on Taylor Rapp to see if he was, you know, effective. But it seemed like it went a lot better than it had in in the past with Taylor Rapp on the field. And getting that time and allowing the Bills to kind of go through with their plan at linebacker that's kind of a half and half strategy that takes Tyrell Dodson off the field and obvious passing downs and, and moves Jordan Poyer down the linebacker that helped them. So hit that flexibility for, uh, for Taylor Rapp, allowing them to do that and having the depth at safety to do that certainly helps. So I'll, I'll, I'll give that award to, uh, to Taylor Rapp. Next up is the, uh, Vontae Davis award for the player that did not show up. Oh no, we'll go with Dre Archer first. Dre Archer, uh, award for the player that did not show up at all in this game. That's got to go to Kyrie Elam, right? I mean, Tredavious White is done for the season, and Kyrie Elam is still a healthy scratch. Pretty sad state of affairs for him, but you know that's that's a pretty clear and obvious candidate there. The Dre Archer Award for, or wow, the Vontae Davis Award for the player that did not show up in the second half of the game. Maybe it's a fourth down defense for the bills. They had three opportunities to get off the field against the Buccaneers when they were up 24 to 10 and they failed to do so. First of which was a penalty to Taron Johnson for an illegal contact. Then it was as they were in the process of bringing down Baker Mayfield for a sack on fourth down. Jordan Phillips gets the face mask. So that's another one that results in a first down. And then again, later on in that same drive, fourth down, Mike Evans for a 24-yard touchdown. Bringing the game closer, bringing it to a one-score game, 24-18. to The Bills wound up actually giving the ball back to the Buccaneers and allowing them to throw a Hail Mary, which wasn't too far away from being a completion. It's not like... Someone was right on it, but like there was a cluster of of guys there. And at one point, I think Jordan Poyer fell to the ground on the Hail Mary attempt. That could have been really bad. And they, they just allowed this team to hang around. And that's why when we were talking about the offense earlier and being able to put a team away, that's something they have not been able to do over the last three weeks combined. The Giants game, let them hang around, came down to the final play. Patriots allowed the Patriots to get the ball back with um, under two minutes ago and 
that game got away from them. This one very nearly almost got away from them if that Hail Mary was successful. But at the very least, defense has got to get off the field on those fourth downs. That's three opportunities, and they missed on all of them. And not great. So Vontae Davis Award goes to the fourth down defense uh, in the second half. And then, I suppose finally, oh, my goodness, have I gone these last two games without the gotta watch the tape award? I believe I have, and I apologize for that wholeheartedly. And, you know, all I can do is get better (laughs) on a week-to-week basis. So the gotta watch the tape award, I think probably again has to go to the defensive tackles in in the middle, not name Ed Oliver. You know, gotta watch the tape to see if uh, they actually were not that great again. And my uh, spidey sense thinks that they probably weren't, based on the evidence that we've seen over the course of the season. But few too many. Big rush lanes right in the middle of that defense and forcing the secondary or the the second level of defense to, to bail out those defensive tackles. That's been a thing over the last few weeks. So, uh, so we've got to watch the tape there. And then lastly, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance. Maybe I give it to Josh Allen, right? Rushing the ball. It didn't seem like it was something he wanted to do. Wound up doing it. Slid. It was a very ferocious slide in, in the second half, mind you. It seemed like he, <laughs> he did that to, to show everyone that he could slide. But, yeah, he kind of turned things around. Persevered. Uh, just as uh, the Blaine Gabbert Award for Perseverance shows. I suppose it could also be a co-winners. Ken Dorsey here, because Dorsey came under fire this week, and I thought his response was pretty good based on some of his switches he has made in past games. So good on both of those uh, individuals for for putting that Patriots game behind them, putting the last few weeks behind them, and coming out with a, with a really nice showing here against the Buccaneers. So the... Bills are now 5-3 and three on the season. Nine games to go in the regular season. Next up, an absolute banger matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are only 3-3. Three and three. They've got the 49ers this coming weekend, so that'll be a really interesting game to watch because that's a tough opponent they're going to be up against. But make no mistake, this Bengals team plays the Bills tough. Really tough. Even before everything happened last January uh, with DeMar Hamlin in Cincinnati, the Bengals were really, really good offensively. And it seemed like that game was going a certain way, at least in the early stages. And then the playoff game, the Bengals dominated. So, Bills get about a week and a half before... They get to Cincinnati and take on a Bengals team that will be game for the matchup. But on the positive side, the offense has taken a step in the right direction, a positive step. And that's what the Bills were 
yearning for heading into this game. So as the weekend comes, know that the offense is starting to to turn around here. Are they there? No. But the signs are promising. And we'll see if they can continue it against the Bengals next weekend. All right, that's going to do it for me. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Bills, Bengals, next week, going to be a hoot. And we'll we'll, uh, talk to you next on the Live Room episode, previewing that game uh, at the end of next week. Talk to you then. See you.